Welcome. You made it to the Secret Society of Success. In this not-so-secret podcast, we interview L&D changemakers about how they approach the evolving corporate environment and cultivate their own careers. From their stories, we hope you find lessons and inspirations to make yourself, your people, and your organization successful. For our second season, we polled you, our listeners, to find out what you wanted to hear about. You chose learner personas. So now we're on a mission to find out from experts the answers to your questions. Like, what is a learner persona? How do you create an effective persona? And most importantly, why are personas a strategic investment for L&D teams? In this episode, industry expert Betty Danowitz from the Ken Blanchard Companies and the If You Ask Betty podcast joins us to talk about learner personas from an instructional design perspective. I love hearing what she has to say about why building personas is worth the extra work that has to go in up front. Let's jump into the conversation so you can hear what I'm talking about. Betty, before we get started and jump into our topic of learner personas, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Betty Danowitz. I have been in learning and development for over 18 years. Let's leave it at that. My career is officially an adult. And once we hit 21, we should definitely have a party. Currently, I work for the Ken Blanchard Companies, and I'm a solutions architect with them. Uh, and I also, I'm also known often as If You Ask Betty and speak at a lot of conference events around XR so that'd be AR, MR, VR, and then also podcasting and sometimes even imposter syndrome. So I have a variety of things in which I like to play with. So Awesome. Well, well thank you for the intro, Betty. And I like the idea of the uh, party for the 21st anniversary of your career. So if, if that happens, I love a good party. Uh, be more than happy to, to join you. Uh, likely likely to be karaoke involved. So ooh, get, start picking out your song now. Yeah. Okay. Well, so for today's discussion and for this season, the focus is really the top diving into the topic of learner personas. Um, so we'd love to hear, you know, given your, your vast experience in the learning and development industry, uh, where I think it makes sense to start the discussion is really understanding what are some of the first learner personas that you constructed and defined? Could you kind of share a story and, and the context of, of some of the first ones? Yeah, so so some of the first ones were you know, for a client, right? So um, they kind of worked like this. It had sort of a template where I would pick a picture that might um, represent who it is that, uh, who I'm trying to come up with, talk about what are their motivations behind why, why they work, motivations to learn. So how, what are the, the ways that they prefer to learn? And what's it, what's fun about a persona is you get to kind of create a character in your head that is no doubt based on, other people that you know, like it's always that way. Like if you say it's not the first person you're lying to is yourself, because that's totally it. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, like so like if we were to construct your persona today, we might say, you know, something like um, like one of the listeners for this podcast is, um, you know, is is Jerry Smith. And Jerry um, is a young dude. He's been in, you know, learning maybe, I don't know, maybe five years. He's got just enough to know that he knows something, but he doesn't really know that much. Uh, he's connected to a few people. He likes to wear his hat backwards. He's got big black glasses. Uh, he's always wearing graphic t-shirts, never fully shaven, 
not that he not that he looks anything at all like you, Thomas. But anyways, um, you know, uh, it's always based on somebody that you know. So starting that way and and then also like defining other things like what is maybe their disc workplace style or, um, you know, if you're if you know other type of personality indicators well enough, I I'm incredibly well versed probably too much in DISC. So DISC is typically my go-to that helps understand personality and workplace styles, Um, those types of things. And then always coming up with what is it that they want to get out of whatever experience it is you're about to create? Because that's where the the definite connection comes. Because if you create a learner persona that does not connect at all to your, what you're trying to do, uh, that they shouldn't be the persona because they're not the right learner for you. Um, so yeah, so, so the, some of that's sort of, sort of how I started and continue to do personas. I will tell you my favorite one I've done so far is for Ken Blanchard. Um, we created a persona that is Sherry and Sherry is the first time manager in like the, we have a building trust virtual reality simulation. And so in the simulation, you as the user help sort of coach Sherry and understanding what it is that she needs to do to build trust with her team or restore trust with her team. So Sherry is every bad manager you've ever had. Like all the things that they've done is that's Sherry. (laughs) And so it was really fun to build that, right? Super fun to build the persona that is embodies all the bad habits of all the bad managers that I've ever had or that you've ever had. Um, And it's funny because as I was sort of writing who Sherry is and what motivates her and how she likes to learn and that type of stuff, I could see her in my mind. I was like, I know exactly what she looks like. And this is this is what she looks like. This is how she sits. This is what her face looks like all the time. And and then we were able to like find something that matched that. So so, yeah, Sherry's probably maybe she's not the first, but definitely the most memorable uh, and fun persona I ever got to create. That's a great that's a great story. I, I really appreciate the example. I, I think I there's a lot of stuff in there that I think is is worth unpacking. Before we one thing you said earlier that I think is really interesting and obviously true as it relates to any persona that you're going to create was that fact that you you know, you use the relationships to people that you know that this persona mm-hmm. might represent to further inform you know, the key aspects of the persona, what that person is like. It allows you to sort of relate to the persona, you know, more, therefore better understanding, you know, what they want, motivations, because you called that out as a really important, I think that was the first thing you said, is what is their work motivation? What's their learning motivation, right? So it's key to understand that. Um, I'd be curious to unpack that a little more, because I would imagine that there is both a, significant value in understanding that that's the case and using it to your advantage when building a persona. I would also imagine there could be some some risks associated with that as well. Um, Could you talk about how to sort of manage that reality? Yeah. So, so some of the risks, okay, let me back up. Let me say the advantages first. The advantages of doing it that way is that the ideas will come to you quickly. 
right? Because you know these people, you've met these people, you've interacted with them. So there's there's very little research that has to be done. But the risks come in things like stereotyping, generalizing, and um, and otherwise ostracizing people because you're choosing characteristics that while you might think they represent a person like this, they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily really representative. They're only representative of the subset of people that you've known and met and, and experienced and put in there. So it's always a good place to start. I would definitely recommend one of the ways to mitigate that risk is to collaborate with others. So maybe you you build a persona and then you bring other people in, different voices from your organization, inside your uh, department or, or work group, and even outside of it. Maybe even if possible, if you can do it without uh, any concerns for um, proprietary uh, issues, if you can share it with people outside of your organization to get their thoughts. Because sometimes we get so zoned in and excited about an idea or a persona that we're building that we miss the we miss all the red flags because we're too busy giggling about it. I'm not gonna, I mean, I, I showed <laughs> Sherry to multiple people uh, and we did change a couple tiny things, right? Um, like, like in my initial version of Sherry, you know, she used curse words at work um, because why wouldn't she? It's, why wouldn't it was, she? Why not? Right? Why wouldn't she? <laughs> And uh, and they were like, well, maybe we can change that just a little bit because, you know, it, it could be dist- a distracting part of her personality that doesn't add to the story. And I was like, OK, fine. Uh, but, it, you know, like so sometimes we get sort of overly excited about what we're creating and who we're coming up with. And so it's good to bounce that idea off other folks. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think the idea of, you know, like you said, the speed at which it will help you to create and build out the persona is obviously immensely valuable, right? Especially mm-hmm. for a learning and development um, professional, right? Typically under-resourced, maybe not getting the, the amount of time or or the size of team that you would want to really truly build that out. So that speed is immensely valuable as a takeaway, but I think you can balance that, um, balance the risks of biases, things of that nature by just getting other people's opinion, right? Ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, bringing more people into the fold as you're building that out. I think those are really valuable takeaways for the audience. You know, you use Sherry as your favorite. And specifically, when you share the example, you talked about Sherry, the character in a, you know, simulated training environment. You know, so I'm curious how, you know, in context, I think that kind of is one answer to the question, but I'm curious in more in general, how learner personas kind of changed how you pro- approach actual instructional design, how you specifically uh-huh. deliver uh, content to that, that persona or with a persona in the case of Sherry. Sure. So, so learner personas, I think their, their biggest function other than being fun. Um, also, I just, <laughs> let me just add, it is important. It's important to me. Uh, let me just add that when I first heard about the idea of learner personas, I was like, that just sounds like work. Like, I know these people. I don't need to do this. Um, and at the moment in the job I was in, I was deeply steeped in who who my audience was. So that may have been true. However, as you know, work the way we work has progressed and you don't necessarily just own an audience anymore. You work with so many other different groups that like a persona I found 
when I finally sat down and did one was, oh, this helps me communicate what I know in my head and in my heart about these people uh, to everybody else that's in the project group. So maybe it's not such a bad idea to do that. So anyways, um, just in case anybody else is on the fence and thinking, I don't want to do that. It's just work. It do, It is more work, but it is, it's very, very helpful for everyone in the project team. Okay. So back to the question. Uh, and that kind of answered it actually. It wasn't even trying <laughs> to. It. Um, but it, it really helps you to think differently about how you're going to design. So I think we can, it's very easy, especially in corporate learning to get into the the groove of, oh, here comes a request. Um, it's a certain set of content. They need it delivered by such and such date. Let's just create uh, let's just create an e-learning and we'll move on with our lives. Um, nobody wants another e-learning. Not one person uh, <laughs> ever said, please make me another e-learning. I'm waiting. Like that's not happened. <laughs> so what's nice is over the last few years, people have been more apt to like, well, maybe we could make a video or maybe we could do this. But when you create a persona, especially when you include like how they like to learn, that makes you think differently about what you could design. So for example, Sherry likes podcasts. Why wouldn't she? Right. And so because Sherry likes podcasts and Sherry is one of, you know, three personas that I'm working with, maybe a podcast is actually a good learning solution, depending on the content that I have to deliver. Um, and so it helps you think about different modalities. It helps you break out of the e-learning cycle um, and also out of the face-to-face instructor-led because not everything needs to be instructor-led. In fact, I would argue most things don't uh, need to be instructor-led and uh, half your ad- audience just hung up because they're facilitators. So sorry about that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like uh, I just think that you know, it, it helps it helps open your eyes when you think about the people you're designing for. It changes the way that you design. I like that. It might be more work. It likely could be an extra step in uh, that's different than your normal process, right? Like you said, request, deliverable, get something done by a certain date. Mm-hmm. In that process, may might not be, okay, wait, evaluation of audience, build persona, then build deliverable by an X. Like now we're adding an extra step here. Why are we going to do that? But, you know, you mentioned it's more work, but helpful. The way I kind of internalize that in something that I I always think about is sometimes it's the idea of slowing down to speed up. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I think that sometimes that's really important and and being really clear on your target and your audience is, is, as you said, you know, as you, later mentioned, can really drive the delivery method. And at the end of the day, you know, what everyone is trying to do, you know, that in any profession, but specifically in the learning profession is we're trying to do a good job. And I think the definition of what a good job often is, is uh, a, a learning that you delivered that had the intended impact. And the best way to get the right impact is to, you know, meet your audience where they want to be met, not in the way that's easiest for you to get the product out the door, right? It's not yeah. just ship product, it's ship quality. A, a lot of our audience is um, mm-hmm. delivering learning services as a third party for an organization. Um, so I'd like to dig into that topic even more specifically. So like, how do you create a learner persona as Ken Blanchard engaging with another company when maybe you don't have 
that audience right there at your fingertips, right? You don't inherently know them because you're not tied right. to them, like you mentioned before. You know, what are some of the steps you you start to take to successfully create that when maybe you're not tied at the hip with that audience every day? Sure. So, so my first thoughts are, okay, I might not work in this industry, but I am I am a, a human consumer and have probably interacted with this industry or with people who uh, who work in this industry. So I stop and think about that first of all. So it's always you're always coming back to who do you already know? So who do I already know that works for uh, let's just say um, power and gas, right? So utilities companies. So who do I know? Because I've never worked in that industry, but I've worked with clients that are in that industry. So who do I know that that does that? Okay, and did they actually work in the jobs that I'm writing for? If they didn't, but they worked adjacent, I might make a phone call and say, "Hey, I'm getting, I'm trying to get ready to design um, for people that you may have worked with before. This is what I would think they're like. What you know? Can you tell me more?" And so, so connect tapping into those connections that you already have is one thing. Another thing is I research and look at job descriptions. Right. So I will go out to that particular company's website, go to careers and look for job descriptions. If for some reason there aren't any, I will ask my client to send me some job descriptions of these folks. Um, A lot of times they're already out there, so I don't have to ask them. Um, And then thirdly, if I really still feel like I don't have a a handle on it, um, I'll set up interviews. So I'll ask the client to provide me with you know, a a handful of folks that I can interview to just get them to tell me a little bit about themselves and to tell me about their job and the work that they do and what motivates them. So the same kind of questions that would be in a persona um, and use them as sort of a a poster child, if you will, for that. So it's, it's really about research, starting with who do you already know? What can I find publicly? And then if I need to, which I don't always have to, but if I need to, then interviewing folks that are actually part of the work group that uh, that I'm trying to write for. That's great. When you're researching job descriptions, that's a great suggestion. I think the audience could maybe even overlook that. What, you know, I can understand when you pick up the phone and you call someone in your network or you get the opportunity to interview some of the questions that you're going to ask that'll help you reveal things like focus and motivation and what they're trying to accomplish. What are you gleaning from a job description that allows you to to better inform uh, you know what that persona looks like? Sure. So if I look at a job description, uh, I'm looking at you know what is it what kind of tasks is it asking them to do, and then I look deeper. Like what are the skills that are required to be able to do this job really well? Because I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever surfed job descriptions. I find it to be one of the best things to read on the internet. It just tells me a lot about the industry if I read the job descriptions and what people are looking for. So a lot of jobs don't specifically say we need you to have the skills to manage projects. But if you read the tasks, you cannot do those if you do not know how to project manage. And and so like it's like reading between the lines to see what are the things they really need to be able to do. Um, Building relationships is almost never listed in a job description. But if you read the tasks, if you don't build relationships, you can't do any of that. So it's looking for those underlying skills that maybe aren't really uh, apparent and explicit, but implicit and implied. I love that. So you're working with 
company XYZ, you know, in this case, in the example you shared might be in the, the power industry, oil and gas or something of that nature. So sure. you've, you, you've talked to your network, maybe you've worked in the past, uh, you put on your consumer hat, you looked at a couple of job descriptions, maybe even you got, a, you got an interview or two. You, you're building your research. What are you doing next? What are your next steps in terms of rounding out this persona before you actually then start to use it to drive design? Sure. My next steps are using my imagination with all of the, all of the research that I've got to create a person or character in my mind that I think matches somebody who might be in this position. Um, and thinking not thinking not only professionally but personally. So you know, um, if if we're talking about Jerry again, the things I did mention to you is that Jerry is a single dad uh, and he's got you know twin girls age eleven that he's also juggling at home and uh you know so like so like that just changed the your whole view of jerry right the whole thing that everything you thought about jerry before with the backwards hat and everything like totally changed your mind now he's got a backwards hat because bro don't have time to brush his hair <laughs> like, probably hasn't showered in a week type of thing because he's got two girls that in you know in junior high so or middle school sorry i'm, I'm old i call it junior high so uh, my point is like you 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 bring in the professional elements, but you have to add those personal elements as well. And you don't have to go super deep, but you need to go deep enough that it differentiates this person from the next person in this job. Because if the only difference between the two are their motivations, you might as well just play to the whole room. But if the difference is their motivations and who they are and what they're dealing with outside of the workplace, that gives a whole new level of dynamic to what it is that you want to design. The fact that Jerry is a single dad of two and always on the run, that that pushes you more towards that podcast modality, right? He doesn't have a lot of time, but when he does have time, he's always doing something else. So how can we get him something that will will help him while he's doing something else? Whereas if, you know, if if Jerry's just a single dude and, you know, his favorite thing to do is watch Game of Thrones, <laughs> you know, binge watch Game of Thrones, it's a very different he, Jerry's got lots of time. So a different modality might lend itself. So you see I'm saying how like the rest of the backstory can really help influence the design. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> delivering the same content to each of those Jerry's. Uh, they're definitely at different places. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You know, you mentioned that the persona, you know, isn't really going to address the whole audience, right? If we keep going on this example, you're working with a you know, oil and gas company, uh, you're building uh, training for this persona, you know, you're starting to build Jerry, if you will. I can't imagine that all 300 employees that you're going to train fit Jerry. Uh-huh. How do you decide if you're building Jerry or if you should be building Johnny? Um, and then how does that influence your design? Do you build a persona for everybody? Yeah. Uh, no, because then we, if you have 300 employees, we'd have 300 personas because everybody's different. <laughs> right. but, but you do want to build enough that gives you an idea of the, you know, what, what the folks in this pool of, of, um, potential users, candidates, participants, whatever we're calling it, that the folks in this pool of people, like it's a good representation. So that's where working directly with your client or even your internal uh, business units helps you because, you know, you're also going to want to take into account, um, you know, uh, race, 
background, socioeconomic background, um, uh, sexual orientation, like all of those things are going to become part of the persona. If you leave that stuff out, you may be leaving people out. So you can't get all of that in one, not effectively. Um, I usually do three to five, depending on the amount of audience and, and also on how many the client wants to see represented. Uh, if it's a small audience, three is enough. If it's a large audience, it's usually five, any more than five, and you're starting to duplicate. Like, like um, it gets to be a little bit more nuanced. So usually five is enough. Um, some do standard 10 every time. Uh, it's just really what works for you and what works for your, your client or your internal uh, customers. So, um, so yeah, so like the next step is to sort of build it out and then um, and like really use my imagination to flesh it out and build who this person is. Find a picture that matches what you think that person might look like. Um, sometimes it's not a picture. Sometimes it's an illustration and that's okay. Just again, like rules of all good design. If you're going to use illustrations, make them all illustrations. Like we don't live in a world where, you know, I'm a human and you're a cartoon. <laughs> so like, let's not like make personas that way. Like either we're all cartoons or we're all humans. Um, you feel you're picking up what I'm putting down with that. Okay. Totally picking up what you're putting down. So then take it out to the that group of folks that says and say, hey, check me on this. Like anything you would add, anything you would change. Do you know this person? And if they say, I totally know this person, then you've hit the nail on the head. Um, and then once you've sort of got that initial round of feedback internally or with the you know your board of directors, um, quote unquote, then then take it to the client. Make sure the client agrees, or the customer agrees that this persona represents their workforce. Um, just a quick story. I had, I had a group that um, came to me and oh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was a gas company and, and they wanted personas. I'm like, sure. So I whipped out, you know, three, three or four, I can't remember. It's like three or four of them. Um, and I was like, okay, let's go through these. And so I sort of went through and sort of told the story of each persona. And at the end, I would be like, does that sound like somebody that might work for your company? And they were like, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. And so then I went to the next one and I'm like, does that sound like somebody that might work for you in this, this position? Yeah. And they were like, how do you know, how do you know that? And so I explained to them what I've told you. I was like, this is what I did. I did. I thought about the people I know. I read the job descriptions. I don't think I had to do interviews at this point. Um, and they were like, wow, like they were, they were shocked that I, as a complete outsider could understand exactly. their workforce and their, their organization because I just took the time to think about who might these humans be that work for them. Um, and it and it made a huge difference in the impact of the project. It it built my credibility as an instructional designer, like I had instant credibility yeah. because I knew and understood their workforce and I could show them that. And with that, they were like, okay, Betty, we trust you. Since you know who you know who we're talking to, we know okay. you're gonna build us something great. So. I love that story. I think that's a great example, right? I think, and it, and it, and it illustrates really kind of the, some of those key steps, right? Which is, you know, the way that I, I took it is you, you get all your components and then you, you build the persona. The persona is a description, but it's also an image, an illustration, a caricature, so that there is a visual component, not just the written component. And I, like you said, that's important, not just to make sure that you're in agreement that we're on the right track. But that credibility is, is valuable, right? At the end of the day, 
you know, you guys are going to be as a, as a third party, you're, you're, you're being compensated for delivering training. There's an expected outcome. Um, that credibility is a hugely important part of, of the process, not just to make sure we're on the same page, but gain that credibility that they understand that you understand. Right. Um, that's great. And then, so then from there, then I'd imagine you go into design. So just to really drive the point home, you know, let's say we're in the example, you've got five personas, you've got a program, you're delivering the program to 300, an audience of 300 or 400, or whatever, hundreds of people, you, you build that down to five personas. Um, what does the design or delivery of that program look like in the context that you have five distinct personas trying to get yeah. to that learning outcome? The design then includes typically multiple modalities that will appeal uh, in in the best way to everyone. Uh, it, you know, um, so it may include some podcasts, but there's also videos. So we know that we can't we can't design one thing like you know six times. Like I mean, we can. I don't want to do that. Do you want to do that? I don't want to. Sounds, sounds nope. very <laughs> it sounds horrible. Uh, but but what we can do is take into account as we build a journey for people to go on, what are the different preferred modalities, including things like podcasts? You know, are there folks in this group that would really appreciate some augmented reality? They would really like to pull out their mobile phone and like be able to engage and interact uh, in that way with the, with the content that they're learning. So it really informs that. And so you use that to sort of create a beautiful blended solution that will have at least one or two elements that appeal to everybody. And is it is it typical? I would imagine probably case by case, but is it typical that you'll have each of the five personas go through every bit of that blended content? Or is it is there also a scenario where you might have, you know, uh, Jerry go through one experience that's slightly different than the experience that John goes through? Honestly, um, the answer is sometimes, but mostly no. And that's not really an answer. So let me give you more words. So <laughs> sometimes sometimes there is a reason for an experience to be different. Usually that has to do with level within the organization. So um, it's not unusual that we might create uh, a learning journey for mid-level managers and create a very high level version of the same for executives so that executives know and understand what their folks have gone through, but don't necessarily go through the entire learning journey. Um, so that in that case, then yes, sometimes there's a, a little bit different version. Unfortunately, if sometimes with accessibility, there's a need to create a secondary way to experience it. So that's where captions, uh, videos with captions come in and, um, and transcripts, uh, podcasts with transcripts, things like that. So, so sometimes there's that, but often those are built in in design so that it covers those areas uh, so that folks can turn on captions or turn them off. I don't know about you. I don't I don't I don't physically require them, but I prefer them. They act, captions actually help me focus better. Um, and a lot of times if there's a, if there's background noise, I have a hard time isolating. And so I don't really necessarily have a hearing problem. I don't require hearing aids. But captions help me focus and actually hear what's happening versus everything else that's happening around me. So, um, so that's just one example. So, like, so, so most of the time, no. But sometimes there are those like little offshoots. Yeah. Uh, those those personas help inform that, but they don't necessarily 
influence the design in that way. Like we wouldn't necessarily only design one way because of this. Rather, we would design and, and create off ramps for folks that need to consume it in a different way. Yeah. So it sounds like it's not really a different design. It's just different tracks. And those yeah. tracks are likely influenced by things yeah. like level in the organ level in the organization or accessibility. You know, more, I guess, for lack of a better term, practical reasons why the track would be different. And then when, it, when you're using the personas to drive design, it's about using that tool to make sure, hey, as I've designed this full experience, have I created something that allows each per each of these personas to feel engaged with and met where they are, um, even if that's different than where they're exactly. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. Uh, Betty, I guess the last question I'll leave you with, and, and then we can wrap up here. Uh, people love stories, just like personas help. Uh, are there any any horror stories? And, and what were the outcomes? Sometimes it helps people take sure. away a, a, a lesson clear. I don't have a real specific story for you, which I, I know might be a little disappointing, but I can tell you that in the past, before personas were a thing in learning, you know, we would sit in a meeting, a project meeting, as we're like building a design or whatever, and we would say, okay, we're, we're you know, this is what it needs to do, and this is what we're going to do, and someone speak up and say, I don't know, like, I've been in this role before, and that would not be very, um, it would not be, it would not work for me, and so we would have this conversation where it's a, it's a, this was my experience, oh, but this was my experience, but this was my experience, and somebody had to make a decision, and nobody ever wrote down their experiences, nobody, nobody ever, like, created something that said, this is what, this is who we're we're speaking to. We just went off what we heard and what we could remember, which I don't know about you, but I can't I can't remember my first call today. So we 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 relied on that, and then we relied on that person that was in that meeting going back to the designer and translating that and telling them that. And then the designer who wasn't a part of that meeting, this is I'm talking about like 10 years, 10, 12 years ago. This is how we operated, um, trying to make sense of it based on what that person, so it's like a game of telephone, right? Yeah. So then by the time you got to the final, like they'd go to do it. And that same person is saying, okay, but like I said, like three months ago, like this wouldn't work for me yeah. if I would, if I was still in this role. So, so the horror story is that you can lose that whole, you can lose your whole focus. You can lose your whole audience because the way that you designed or what you're delivering is not what they need and how they need it. And so persona sort of helps you at the beginning, stay in the right track. Um, and then at the end, when you go to those people that the persona is based on, if they say, yes, this is what I need when I needed it, then you know, you hit, you, you hit the nail on the head at the beginning. If you get to them at the end and you say, this isn't it, you need to look back through the journey and say, well, either the persona was wrong to begin with, or it got changed and morphed along the way. And that's why you're not you're not meeting the need the way that you should. So setting that up ahead of time and really thinking through it is going to help the whole process. Yeah. To your point that that creating that persona creates alignment through the whole process and clarity. It just gives you yeah. something to measure against that ultimately you can confirm that everybody who's working on design is on the same page, that this is the audience we're trying to serve. Your yes. stakeholders are aligned with you that, yep, that's who I'm trying to deliver against. And then your audience, at some point, you know, you get the opportunity to do that check with the audience and make sure that, hey, does this resonate with you? Is this 
is this persona that we're talking about someone that fits within you know, your group, whatever that may mm-hmm. be. Um, and then ultimately, as you go back and assess, it's that true north that you can go check yourself against. It's hey, yeah. did we did we meet the objective here? Where did this where did this go off the rails? So I love that. I think it's a great, probably really really meaningful takeaway for the audience in terms of why is this extra work worth it? Mm-hmm. Um, and it really ultimately makes everything in the whole process easier. It's you know going back to that idea of slowing down to to speed up. Yeah. Um, Betty, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I've personally learned a lot, so it's fun for me. Uh, If the audience is looking to learn more uh, about you um, or even the topic of of learner personas, where can they find you uh, on the interwebs, if you will? On the interwebs, yes. So on just about any social media platform, I'm at If You Ask Betty. Um, You can find me at ifyouaskbetty.com. You can also email me at ifyouaskbetty at gmail.com. So Hopefully you're seeing a theme. I try to keep it simple that if you just type in, if you ask Betty, all one word, all lowercase, you're going to find me. Great. Great. Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate your time uh, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks. You too. The Secret Society of Success is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Check out our sister podcast, Talk of the Trade, for tips and tricks for sales and marketing leaders. Visit www.mimeo.com for more information.